Thank you, Anton, and good morning, everybody. And it's good to be with you. For those of you who haven't met me, I'm Andrew. I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's, and we're continuing our series today on the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the whole Gospel this year, and we're up to Chapter 12. You may notice we've skipped ahead a few verses. We'll go back to the early half of Chapter 12 next week. But today we're going to be looking at the passage that we just uh, read. So... As Holly mentioned, and as, of course, as you know, we're now in springtime, even though it doesn't quite feel like it yet, unfortunately. Uh, spring is a good time, isn't it? It's the time of new life, when things that have been dormant for a while, they start to grow back again, new seeds sprout and begin their life cycle. And the world does seem to come back to life in many ways after winter. We've been hibernating and just getting by, and now it's ready to go back out there. And that's why spring is such an encouraging and refreshing time of year for so many people. And a lot of us feel like we do get our own life back as well. It's renewed and um, our energy comes back as well. Now, coincidentally, in the first week of spring, our passage today, Jesus has been talking about life and what real life is, the life we think about at spring, perhaps. And there are parables and teachings in this reading here that Jesus encourages us, um, how do we live well and how do we live what we might call a life-filled life. So let's see what he says. So his message at this particular instance, it's prompted by someone who takes advantage of being in the crowd with Jesus to try and get him to interfere in a family dispute. So someone calls out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I've always wondered, was the brother there at the time? You know, a bit awkward, really, and I'd encourage you not to do that to me during sermons. Uh, um, that's the sort of thing that might throw a regular preacher off their track. But Jesus, professional that he is, never lets an opportunity go to waste. So he doesn't take the bait about the inheritance comment, but he does then turn to talk about possessions and money and how they affect our attitude to life. And there are two parts then to his response. The first is the parable of the rich man. And then more generally, he gives some teaching about riches, about worry, and about trust in God. So firstly, let's think about the parable of the rich man or the rich fool. It's a fairly straightforward parable. A wealthy farmer with lots of land has had a great harvest one year. And being a prudent man, he decides to capitalise on this, to store up this surplus for later, set up his retirement fund, and so he decides, well, what he needs to do is to build more and bigger barns to hold all the excess grain. And then having done so, he can sit back, relax a little, and reap the rewards of all his hard work. I'm sure many of us would do the same. But unfortunately then, he learns that he's going to die that night, and so all of that planning that he's doing is for nothing. He can't anticipate the hour of his death and his plans are not part of that. Now, before we think about Jesus' application of this parable, I'd like us to sit with it for a minute and think about how we hear it. Because I think it's interesting that what Jesus is doing here is actually going what I would call beyond wisdom or beyond the conventional understanding that we have of a good life. So in his context, the rich man, I think, wouldn't be considered a foolish person or an ethical person in any way. And I think in our own culture, he wouldn't either. So, you know, someone who invests wisely, works hard, gets a return, reinvests that, and then uses the proceeds to enjoy life and build for the future, that's someone someone most of us would respect and think is a wise person. Um, the fact that he died that particular night might just seem like bad luck. Otherwise, he was making good choices. 
And the, actually, the wisdom teaching of the Old Testament, I think, would encourage him as well in what he was doing. So in verse 9, you may have heard what he says to himself. It is a quote from the Old Testament where he says, now it's time for me to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. And that's a quote from the book of Ecclesiastes, which encourages people, it's wise to live life to the fullest while we have the ability to do so. So I'll read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. It says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. This is what the rich man is doing. He might have read Ecclesiastes. He's living according to this wisdom. But Jesus is saying, I actually want you, my followers, to go beyond this conventional wisdom into something else. And I think in the rest of the passage that this something else is actually what we might call what is real life, a life that is actually enlightened by the reality of the kingdom of God, a different wisdom. A key thing that I think it's for, not, for me to notice as I read this passage is that there are actually two different Greek words that are used when we translate into our Bible the word when Jesus is saying the word life. And when we put that into English as life, there are actually two words that he's using in the Greek. So when he talks about the rich man's life, when he says this is the life we shouldn't worry about, this is the life that will be account, um, accounted for, the word he uses is psyche, which I understand is the sense that we, we might use soul or energy to use that. This kind of life, it's the energy of our life. It gets us up in the morning. It's like the breath that comes into us when we're born. It keeps us going, and at the end of our life, it goes away again, and we die. Psyche is a kind of temporary animation of a body that we inhabit while we live on this earth. So that for most, almost every time he says life, that's what he says. But at one place, he uses another word. In verse 15, when he says life does not consist of in an abundance of possessions, he uses a different word, which is the word zoe. There's a zoe here today, I think she's. Um, and my so zoe is another Greek word for life, but it means more like life with a capital L, real life. It might mean the life of God, eternal life genuine life. So psyche is kind of the life that everything has that comes and goes and it ends, but Zoe doesn't. It's the life that goes on forever. And I owe that observation to C.S. Lewis, by the way. So what we start to see when we know this is what Jesus is actually doing in these parables is contrasting two different types of life and encouraging us to grasp onto one of them rather than the other. So Ecclesiastes is correct within its own scope of the life it's talking about. There is a normal psyche life in the world that everyone has. It's a life that's temporary and it's a life in which things like our possessions, the enjoyment of good things, our work and our rest, they're very important. The rich man was full of that kind of life and he had a good one. But when you see that there is another kind of life, this fuller life, a real life, God's life that we can have, uh, doubt can be cast then on the wisdom of the choices that we make based just on the normal life that we have. Is it really that important to store up grain? Should we, in fact, be storing up riches for a different kind of life, for real life? And that's why in verse 21, the rich man is criticised for failing to be fully wise. He says, you're a fool. 
Yes, in, in, in the light of his own psyche, in his life, in the night that everyone has, he was wise. But he should have known there was more to that life even than the things that he possessed and which he was building up. And that's then, I think, the background for the teaching in verses 22 to 31, where Jesus talks about not worrying, not worrying about things like food and clothing. Because this life, actually, that we have in the body, even our normal life, is, is not really about those things. Our food, our clothing, all the things we have, they just support life while we have it. And it has a different task, this temporary life that we have. It's not about those things, they just support it. So I think when Jesus tells us not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink, it's not a sort of psychological counselling about anxiety and how to deal with pressure and stress. It's, and it's not even an encouragement not to make plans about those things and providing for ourselves. It's just really saying we need to put our life as it is in its proper context. This temporary life that we're living is not absolute and we shouldn't live as though it is, as the rich man did, as though it goes on forever and so we need to store up for it. All of our world, it exists in this temporary flow as life goes on through its seasons. Um, and, you know, Jesus says in that life there are available to things to us, the things that life needs to go on. God has provided for his creation. He's made it so. Birds and the flowers around us and the grass that grows has the things that they need for the life that they have. They don't accumulate. They don't build big barns. They don't make plans for long-term future accumulation of what they need. That God has given them what they need for the life that they have. And Jesus is saying their example is meant to remind us that our own life is temporary too. And real life, capital L, Zoe, it, ex it consists in more than an abundance of possessions. There's more to it than that. But if we accept that though, then what is our life for? What are we here for if we're not to just enjoy the things that we get? What is Zoe? What is this special life that we're actually supposed to be pursuing? And I think Jesus makes this clear at the end of the reading here from verses 31 to 32 where he says to them, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagans, the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So what we see again and again in Luke is this idea of the kingdom of God. That's the center of Jesus' teaching. And almost every time it comes back and it keeps coming back, there's some new facet of it that he opens up for us. As I've said before, I think fundamentally the kingdom of God is really a way of describing the presence of God in the world. His spirit is filling the world and it, uh, and it changes things, it grows things, it makes things what they should be. That's the kingdom of God. And in the Bible, this creation we live in, the universe that God's made, it's made to be a place for God's spirit to live in. That's the purpose of it. We're made for that too in our own way. That's the purpose of our life. So I think when Jesus is saying here, when he says, seek the kingdom of God, is he saying, look, yes, you have this normal life. You have your cycle, your psyche, your physical life, this life in the world. And it can seem to be, if you're not paying attention, to be about eating and drinking and enjoying good things and building, or building up everything that you need. But the purpose of this life really, however, is to be filled with God's life, God's real life, his eternal life, his spirit. That will complete your creation and the life that you've been given. Otherwise, the life that we have is just a passing thing. It comes and goes very quickly like the grass of the field. 
Often when Christians interpret these sayings, uh, like the parable about the rich man, we, we draw what might be called like a dualistic conclusion, where we say, well, okay, what Jesus is saying is the physical world is bad, it's useless, don't be worried about it, you know, ignore it. Spiritual things are good and important, and that we should be focused on them only. I don't think that's correct. I think what Jesus is actually doing, he's not separating our physical life and our spiritual life, but he's bringing them together. He says the goal of this life we have in the body, our physical world, which we exist in and enjoy, is to be filled with the spiritual life of God and to be brought up into it. That's what life is for. So and that's what the resurrection from the dead is going to be about when it happens, our physical life being filled with God's spiritual life. The problem that we have in our present life then is not that we have riches or we have possessions or that we, have in, or that we enjoy things, but that we only have those things and nothing else. We worry about them so much that they become everything to us and we miss our purpose. We don't seek the kingdom of God and we don't try to fill our life with God's spirit. I think this is something Australians in our culture, in our time, struggle with a lot. I, I remember speaking once in hospital uh, to a man who was very ill. He'd had a stroke recently. He was not going anywhere very good with his health at all. He couldn't stand. He couldn't speak properly. But still, as he spoke to me, he was I'm really mostly concerned to tell me all about this brand new expensive house that he bought in great detail. I remember thinking, what, why? <laughs> what is this for? We're blinded by our culture to the reality of the fact that our life is frail and passes away. These things do not have long-term meaning. In the end, it is real life that's important for us because other things don't last for anyone, however much we have. This rich man as well. So what is the meaning of our, our life and how do we live it? That's the he's asking. So to finish up, Jesus gives us a very straightforward application then of this teaching at the end. It's challenging, but it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. If the problem that we have is that in this life we attach too much to our possessions and not to the kingdom, then detaching ourselves from our possessions will help that. <laughs> Yay. It's just what you want to hear. Preach it, says Holly. Some of us have less to detach from than others. Um, so he encourages us. He says to people, be generous with the poor. Give away things rather than gathering them up. Because what are you gathering them up for? Your life will be accounted for. And that's one of the legitimate Christian motivations for charity. It makes us easier to grab hold of the spiritual life when our hands are empty. Giving, Jesus says, it's the antidote to worry. It's the antidote to the lack of seeking the kingdom. It opens up space for this real life to come into us. It's a simple thing, hard to do, I know. So I'd encourage us all to think maybe this week of one area where you can let go of something that you're holding on to that would free up space for the kingdom in our lives, to give it away. You're not going to keep it forever anyway. There's certainly a lot for all of us to be worried about at the moment, though, isn't there? There's a lot of anxiety and concern around about these issues. But we should remember, and it's good to be reminded, our life has a bigger purpose than that, a bigger hope than the possessions that we can accumulate and the abundance of those things. It's about Jesus, about his kingdom. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So let's take hold of that as well. Let me pray as we think about that this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the way our life is and what it's made for. And we pray that you would help us to let go of the grasping of things that don't last, to enjoy them but let them pass through us and on to those who do need them. 
We pray for all of us that you would help us not to worry, but to seek your kingdom first. In Jesus' name. Amen.